If you guys want to have a seat, thanks to uh, the, the band behind us that has led us in worship this morning. Well, I'm, uh, my name is Chris McGuffey. I'm the pastor of outreach here uh, at Grace Bible Church. And I wanted to start out this morning with a, uh, a heart of gratitude and to say thank you so much. How many of you guys were part of our backyard Bible clubs that uh, went on this, this, uh, this past week? Raise your hands. Y'all give them a, a big round of applause. Some great things were, were happening this week. Did you know that we had over 225 people come out uh, just to volunteer, uh, both at our clubs that were going out on throughout the week? Uh, we had 16 different uh, places in our, in our Bryan and College Station community where the gospel was going forth to the kids and the parents of our community. We had more than almost 500. I don't know, maybe we missed five somewhere, but we had 495 kids show up to our backyard Bible uh, clubs, this thing, all of whom heard a, a really good presentation of the gospel. And we had a number of those kids trust Christ. And we know that a lot of the parents were able to have conversations with those that volunteered. But having said all of that, what I'm, what I'm really excited about in back, uh, with our Backyard Bible Club program is how God is continuing to move in the hearts of our people, of this church, that when a challenge is put before you to step maybe out in faith or step out in energy or step out in time, that you guys have responded. And so I'm so thankful that we can be a part of a church that when the community needs are put forth in front of us, that we would be people of faith to step out and say, Lord, I, I want to serve in this area. So I want to say thank you to you for being able to step out and say that the, God's message of love and forgiveness is one that's not only important to me, but it's important enough that we would share that in our community. Today we're going to continue through our uh, kind of a journey through Proverbs. Uh, and as you can see from the slide this morning, our topic is going to be self-control. So if, uh, if you have a Bible that you brought with you tonight, you might, or today you might want to uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to pick up there in a few minutes. But I want to address a couple of issues about this term, self-control, because I think it's often a little bit misunderstood as we read it in the Scriptures and it gets translated uh, into our English word. We know that it's a fruit of the Spirit, and that's where we're going to kind of end our time this morning. But the English word that we use sometimes overstates what our own role is in terms of control, and it can also easily overlook the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you want to know where I'm going this morning, I have three goals. Okay, The first goal is this, to take a look at some of the common uses of this word self-control so that we can maybe understand a little bit more what it means. The second thing is that I want to pick uh, a topic that we can further explore this idea of self-control from within the book of Proverbs. And three, I want to identify some areas of our lives, to self-identify some of the areas of our lives that continue maybe to, to snag our walk with Jesus. That over time it continues to kind of prevent us from moving to that place in our walk with Jesus that we desire to be. So let's open up and read with me uh, in Proverbs chapter 25. You can say, see that it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now I have to say, you know, it's, uh, you probably heard it in some of the other Proverbs uh, messages that we've given this summer, that Proverbs often paints a picture of truth in a way that helps us to understand 
what that truth looks like. Okay? It helps us to visualize not only what is happening in our world or in our lives, but also what could be happening down the road. As we look at this verse, we can think back to what we may know of Near Eastern kingdoms, and it's a little bit crazy to assume that a city uh, in the Near East would be able to survive if it didn't have defensive walls around it. Roving bands and and armies uh, were always looking for easy battles. And if you didn't have a set of walls around your city, then in the land you were just easy pickings. This is pretty clearly seen even in the book of Nehemiah as Nehemiah traveled back and one of the biggest problems that Jerusalem had if it was going to have a successful future was that it had no walls. And so as a leader of Israel, he went and one of the things that he wanted to do was to provide a sense of security so that whatever God's plan for that city could, uh, was going to be could survive in the midst of a hostile environment. This passage here in Proverbs 25, it illustrates for us, I think, the danger of trying to live our lives without some type of self-control. That somehow it paints this picture that we in our lives are vulnerable to the world that is around us. It seems, therefore, as if this idea of self-control is so important, we need to understand maybe what the scope of the meaning of this word might be in our lives. So let's, let's take a look at that a little bit. You can see that in the Hebrew, the word is masar. Uh, you know, I think it's funny when preachers get up here and kind of start talking about languages. They're dead, and uh, the languages are, not the preachers, hopefully. And, uh, and so I always think it's kind of funny, so it's like masar, or, you know, or something like that. You know, in Texan, we would just say masar. You know, so you can pronounce it however you want to. It doesn't bother me at all. But this term in Hebrew, you can see it kind of means th- this idea of, of holding back or restraining. And funny enough, even though we translate it as self-control, the idea of self actually isn't in the term. This word is better defined as something that holds, holds something back or prevents or restrains. And it has a counterpart in Greek. The word there is ekratia. Uh, and it comes from this word kratos, and I don't know if you know it, but you, you, you actually know this word. We'll get to that in a second. This meaning has this idea of dominion, of mastery, of power. Okay? It, in, it, it has this idea that it, that it somehow comes from within, but not by oneself. Okay? So if you take two Greek words, demos and kratia, it sounds a lot like the word democracy. Okay? And so it talks about demos means from the people, so power from the people, not necessarily from within an individual, but as people come together that there's this idea of leading from the people. It's important to understand that this word uh, self-control is not some type of positive power force that's out there on the offensive, uh, or it's not some type of Marvel Comics superpower that allows us to take on enemies from within our own strength. Okay, Instead, it's the ability to trust in someone or something outside of our own innate strength to restrain or to prevent the enemy. Okay? So when we say self-control, don't get hung up on the idea that it has to come from me alone. In the Western world, and maybe even more so in the Texan world, we talk about this worldview that we have. I call it the bootstrap worldview. 
Okay, this bootstrap worldview, we kind of tell ourselves and sometimes tell our kids that we can do anything that we want to by our own strength, that we have the power to reach down and grab our bootstraps and to pull ourselves up in that world. In the extreme, this even extinguishes the idea that really blessings come from God Himself. Though maybe appropriate in in some settings, in some situations, I too have three teenage boys and my rhetoric isn't always perfect in reflecting uh, the way that God is asking us to change when I'm addressing issues in my household. But sometimes we have this idea of manning up. But when that drifts into our spiritual lives, okay, when we try to man up to this persistent spiritual problems that are in our lives, it's not always the best strategy for success. Biblical self-control by its very nature includes, it always includes the idea of God being part of the picture. With this understanding, let's see how we can uh, look a little bit more at the book of Proverbs and to see how uh, it can shed a little bit more light on self-control. I really like the book of Proverbs. Uh, Why? Because it's one of those books, I don't know about you, I became a believer when I was about uh, 15 years old and I've spent a number of years reading through the scriptures, and there are some places that I gravitate towards, and that's okay. Uh, I like the narratives, but the problem with the narratives for me is that they become very familiar. And so I can read through them very quickly and think that I've grasped the meaning of what's there. But in Proverbs, I like them because it's not that way. I can't just read through very large passages very quickly of Proverbs and walk away with what I hope God intended me to learn. It's a book that that causes me to slow down. It's a book that causes me to be reflective, to be introspective. And those are not necessarily some of my greatest gifts. It's already been mentioned in a number of the the sermons before, but the Proverbs, one of the main goals is to teach us uh, wisdom, what can be defined as skill at living. And part of the way that this is accomplished is to help us to identify the roads that we are on in life and to show us kind of down the road where that road is leading. And sometimes we think we have understanding in life if we just understand where we are. But sometimes we don't know where that road is taking us. And so the book of Proverbs is going to help us paint that picture to say, hey, this is where you are, and brother, this is where that road is going. And I don't know if that's where you want to end up. You can say that Proverbs helps us to identify our struggles in life, which are often portrayed as traps. Proverbs gives us a picture of the problems that we have uh, in ways that we can better understand them. Proverbs provides the sometimes missing link that we have between cause and effect. Some of you that are parents, you deal in that every day with your kids, helping your kids understand cause and effect. And Proverbs often shows us the ultimate consequences of our bad choices. So this morning, I want to take a look at the issue of self-control, but by using this, uh, this book of Proverbs, uh, and I want to address, I want to pull out uh, up from the book of Proverbs and, and use one topic as an example that we can kind of hold and, and look at and, and kind of identify. Uh, I want to look at what Proverbs says about the use of alcohol, Okay. My sermon's not about alcohol, but I want to use that as uh, an example to look at so that we can get a better picture of what this book is trying to teach us about self-control. 
That way we can understand it a little bit more. So I want to tell you a story first, uh, and I brought a couple of uh, visual aids with me. This is a styrofoam cup, uh, a styro, right? Uh, and this is a solo cup, okay? So now for some of you, I, I hold these two cups up, and you have, you know, if I asked you to uh, produce memories just based on my visual aids, uh, some of you guys would come up with things like family reunions, uh, and some of you guys would come up with like birthday parties, and some of you guys would come up with uh, baseball games. I'll just set these here so you can look at them. But there's another group uh, in this audience, probably, uh, that this solo cup and this styrofoam cup, uh, they bring up maybe other memories, because for us, they represent what I'll just call party companions, okay? The styro cup, because I'm old enough before we became a little bit more uh, environmentally aware, the styrofoam cup uh, and the solo cup are what we carried around parties to give us uh, something to do with our hands and to hold that beverage that we somehow referred to as liquid courage, right? Some of you are remembering. This morning, uh, you know, I had originally written uh, in my notes that I was uh, glad that my parents uh, weren't here this morning because I was going to tell a story uh, that they had that I had never told them. Uh, last night, my parents called and said, "Hey, we'd like to drive down and hear you preach." <laughs> my next sermon series is going to be called "Childhood Sins." You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> I must have been about twelve years old. And uh, my parents had gone out to the grocery store. They'd gone away for a little while. Uh, and as 12-year-old kids do with their buddies in town, uh, we started roaming through the fridge to try to find something to eat, right? And then we noticed in the fridge, back in the back, uh, there was a six-pack uh, of beer. And my father, he was not much of a drinker, but sometimes he did reward himself for mowing the yard uh, with, with the beer, Okay. And so that should have probably been the fact that he didn't drink very much, but he had beer in the fridge. It probably should have occurred to me at that moment that he might see one missing. (laughs) But I was 12 years old. It was at that moment, it was at least for that day, that I elevated beer from being what I would call a normative uh, and neutral beverage to something far uh, beyond its purpose. It became, to me, in this styrofoam cup, Coolness in a cup, okay? Coolness in a cup. Yes, my friend and I grabbed a couple of styros and we split the beer in half and we walked around my neighborhood, okay? We walked, I know, I know, I was 12 years old. We walked around the neighborhood for all my friends to see. Never mind that I detested the taste and I never drank the beer. After all, just possessing it was enough to make me somebody new, somebody that I wanted to be. We came back after making our rounds, uh, and we did the only smart thing, the only smart decision of the day, and is that we poured the beer out on the ground and went back inside to play. After all, I was 12, and beer at that time tasted awful. My parents came home not too long after that uh, and almost immediately noticed something different in the fridge. And they asked me if I had any, uh, any knowledge of the missing beer. Of course, my newfound coolness had no effect on my parents, and my courage had been poured out on the lawn. 
So what else could I say? So I looked at my parents, and uh, with every ounce of respect, of course, for my parents that I could have, I said, are you kidding? I'm 12 years old. (laughs) And fortunately, I had older siblings that were there to absorb the suspicion. (laughs) So uh, I was going to say, Mom and Dad... You know, I'm glad to have this off my chest. I hope you'll download the sermon one day and forgive me, but I'm about to meet them at 11 o'clock, and I'll let you know how that goes. In retrospect, though, I mean, if you think about it, it sounds pretty ridiculous, right? That I would think that pouring a beer into a styrofoam cup and walking around my neighborhood could make me a different person. But many of us struggle with similar issues on a daily basis. You know, it it may not have anything to do with alcohol. It could be the way that we eat, our concern for our weight, a struggle with pornography, sexual addiction, gambling, all kinds of issues, hundreds of other behaviors that could lead to sin and addiction. But here's the problem. Here's what we do in life that is counter to this idea of biblical self-control. I wrote, we exchange the power to have our lives eternally changed and give this power to temporal and failing strategies. Now, on the outset, I'm not trying to cover the topic entirely, uh, but I know that there are probably at least some parents in the audience that would like me to cover this idea of alcohol. So I want to run through about five things that we do know that the Scriptures say about alcohol, so that way you can continue to pay attention Uh, more to what I'm saying instead of what you wish that I would have said, okay? So let's run through a couple of those things. First off, we know that uh, through the Scriptures uh, that for an adult, there is no uh, specific Scripture that prohibits uh, the public or private consumption of alcohol, but for people that are under 21, there really are no freedoms that allow you to consume alcohol publicly or away from your parents. So the gist of it is this, that it doesn't really matter as a believer uh, how much freedom you feel as someone who might be under 21, uh, the Bible says that we have to obey our laws, and the laws say that it restricts your freedom. Okay? So we have freedom in Christ, but the freedom that we have is also to obey the laws that, that uh, are in our land. Second, drinking in excess leads to drunkenness, uh, which clearly crosses over uh, what is okay scripturally. Third, for, uh, for some, consuming alcohol as a Christian uh, oh, for, for some, consuming alcohol is not a problem, uh, but for others, it can be a very slippery slope into a dangerous set of consequences. And so another is that the freedom to consume alcohol as a Christian should never be held above uh, the damage that it can do to others who have different views and different struggles. And last, drinking alcohol is a liberty that can be surrendered but it's never supposed to be a right that is to be demanded. Okay? So what does Proverbs actually say about this use of alcohol as we use that as as an example to look at this topic of self-control? Well, look with me in Proverbs 20. Uh, It says this. It did say this. There we go. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it isn't wise. I think this is a great passage here. Alcohol is kind of 
personified uh, in the scriptures into behaviors that are oftentimes associated uh, with alcohol and its consumption. First off, it says that it's a mocker. Okay, what is a mocker? A mocker is a person who undermines authority, becoming a nuisance and a hindrance to either a person or to an organization. Okay, a brawler is a person who assumes authority, usually through aggression, ferocity, or physical strength. In this passage, the Hebrew word for wine means wine, but the word for strong drink actually means something a little bit more like beer or a product that's made uh, from barley. So does this mean, is what the Scripture telling us, does this mean that everyone who has a glass of wine or a beer is going to turn into some type of an obnoxious fighter? No, of course not. The passage is not talking about uh, the passage is talking about uh, a person who turns over their con- the control of their life, whether that's temporarily or habitually, to a secondary substance, causing them to be some- something or someone that they're not. The issue isn't the nature of the beverage. The issue is the choice of the person. Alcohol is just a drink until you give it power over you. Alcohol is just a drink until you want it to give you something that it can't give you. And alcohol is just a drink until you depend on it for escape. It isn't that the drink itself is evil, but rather that the circumstances and the behaviors that often follow can lead us into sin. The same is true, again, for food, sex, gambling, and a host of other issues. Listen how this issue of alcohol begins uh, as you move forward, move down in Proverbs, uh, how it begins to be coupled and expanded to other ideas. The progression that is made with each successive passage. In Proverbs 21, 17, it says, Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and who loves wine and oil will not be rich. This passage in uh, this proverb extends the love of wine as part of an overall problem and addiction to pleasure having its greatest impact on the financial health of a person. Proverbs 23 says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in this way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here the author of Proverbs uh, extends these dangers of alcohol to being uh, both deceptive and addictive. And that the continual priority of consuming both alcohol and meat and spending all time and money on these other pleasures can lead us into poverty. Proverbs 23, a little bit further down in that same passage, starting in verse 29, says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? For some of us, that sounds like what happens when we get ready for church on Sunday mornings, right? For those who tarry long over wine and those who try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, and it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. 
When shall I awake? I must have another drink. A person has lost complete perspective of what's happening. Not known when they're beat. Not knowing, waking up, you know, what happened to them. And in the end, only craving to go back into that slumber. Woe, strife, complaints, wounds, redness of eyes. This stern warning states that those who tarry or spend time with wine are caught into its snare, suffering from the consequences of giving, control, giving up control of their lives to something that has no concern for their lives. So what's the point? Well, I think it's twofold. The first is this. We as the people of God shouldn't be turning over control of our lives to something that leads to foolishness at best and addiction at worst. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't drink alcohol? Is that the message that I'm trying to convey? Well, that's not really an easy question to answer. And it's not one that I can tell you. It's something that you're going to have to consider within your culture. It's going to be something that you need to consider within your family. It's going to be something that you're going to have to consider within your circumstances according to the principles that the Bible puts forward. Second, we as the people of God should be turning control of our lives over to someone that leads to godliness, the Holy Spirit. I think Ephesians 5 captures the heart of this lesson uh, in a passage that isn't always seen in its, in its best context. Okay? So read with me here in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Look carefully then how you will walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Remember that word. But, he, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Reverence for Christ. Debauchery, or maybe in your uh, version that you have of your Bible there, it may say the word dissipation, uh, neither one of which uh, bring quick definitions to mind. But really what this, uh, this word is, is, it combines some ideas of kind of wasting time on luxurious things that lead to destruction. Okay, so those three key terms come together. So wasting time on luxurious things things that we don't need that lead to destruction. Paul urges us as believers not to be controlled by something as silly as alcohol, but rather to yield control of our lives to the one thing that can bring about godliness in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit. He tells us that the only lasting means of self-control comes through the appropriation of the power that is already available For those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, that's the Spirit-filled life. Now the problem is that most of us have patterns of sin behaviors that we have accrued over the course of our lives. As we came to faith, we acknowledged that Jesus' death on the cross broke the power of that sin and allowed us to receive God's forgiveness. But so many people continue to cross back into 
those patterns of sin because they have not allowed the Holy Spirit to help them to make choices that lead to godliness. At the center of that choice is self-control. Choosing to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us and lead us into godliness. This really is the very essence of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul states in his premise in the very first verse, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Freedom has been offered, but freedom isn't always taken. But that is contrary to the reason for which Christ set us free. Paul reiterates in uh, chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I find that when I talk uh, with people, uh, knowing the truth about the freedom that God has given us can be very effective. But if we look at our lives, most of us would say that as we walk along in life, knowing the truth, that our lives are still kind of snagged because of the sin patterns that we have from our past. Like little boomerangs, the issues that were once put away somehow begin to come circling back around, derailing us from the life that we want to live and enjoy in freedom. This morning, I think that it would be really helpful to hear from someone uh, who has been through this process Uh, seeking God, seeing God work in their lives to overcome their story and experience this freedom in Christ. So I want to invite up Candy. Candy, would you join us up here this morning? Candy has been involved in our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Grace Bible Church for some time, and she's serving in some leadership to provide uh, an environment where people uh, can not only know how to come to Jesus, but to understand and live out the promise of the freedom that he gives us. So Candy, talk with us. Hello. I am a grateful believer in Jesus, and I have struggled with codependency and love and relationship addiction, and my name is Candy. That's our CR little formula there. Okay. When I first walked into the doors of Grace Bible Church to attend Celebrate Recovery, it was August 16th, 2011. I had no idea what was about to happen in my life. That morning, my husband and a friend picked up our 14-year-old son from the JDC, where he had spent the night. He ran from my husband's car three days before, and we spent three days not knowing where he was. The day before, on Monday morning, he was picked up from JDC, where he had spent the night. Um, In early 2011, I had actually prayed for God to take my son down. What I finally realized as I walked into those doors for the first time, that he was going to take me down. He was going to require me to face the dysfunction of my own life while relinquishing my son to his care. On September 12, 2011, we sent our son to a teen residential program for addiction and out-of-control behavior called Teen Challenge. That was the moment in time when I knew I finally had to look at my life honestly. Up until then, I thought I was caring for my family. But in reality, I was trying to find the meaning of my life through my manipulation of the behavior and attitudes of my husband and of my son. 
The very first brochure I picked up at CR was about codependence, and these are some of the issues that I identified with. Assume responsibilities for others' feelings and behaviors, have difficulty identifying what you are feeling, have difficulty making decisions, are afraid of being hurt and or rejected by others, minimize, alter, or deny how you truly feel, do not ask others to meet your needs or desires, don't perceive yourself as lovable and worthwhile, and you compromise your own values and integrity to avoid rejection or others' anger. I knew I was codependent, so I was prepared to look at this. What I didn't know in the beginning is that I was also love and relationship addicted. I was exposed to pornography at age four, and although I did not understand it throughout my life, I came to see in the recovery process that this early exposure led to use of pornography in later years and acceptance of use by other people in my life, and it gave birth to many life issues for me. Feelings of being isolated and detached from my parents and my family of origin, as well as my spouse and my children. The outer facade of having it all together to hide internal disintegration, mistaking intensity for intimacy, seeking to avoid rejection and abandonment at all costs. I was afraid to trust anyone. I was depressed. I was highly manipulative and controlling of others, driven, desperate, frantic personality, existence of secret double life, and a huge refusal to acknowledge the existence of any kind of problem. This was me to a T. I desired freedom from this destructive lifestyle. My out-of-control emotions had been damaging to my son and to my marriage. I began working the steps in a step study group that lasted 15 months. In that small group of women, I was able to form healthy friendships based on mutual respect, trust, and acceptance with none of the negative relationship problems I had experienced all my life with other women. For the first time, I learned to accept without judging them, without comparing myself to them, and without fear of being judged by them. I confessed my sins and my secrets to someone I trusted, and James 5.16 became real for me. Confess to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. Early on, I heard someone say that when we confess to God, he forgives us, but when we confess to others, he heals us. And that was when I began to understand completely that the truth does set you free. I have now co-led two other step studies, and each time I see new miracles happen in my life. My life is not perfect. My son is home, and we are working through new relationship dynamics. But I now have the ability to set healthy boundaries with him and not to melt into fear when he is angry or frustrated, um, to have conversations with him rather than trying to manipulate him into doing what I want him to do. I am truly today allowing him the dignity to walk his own path no matter what I fear that path may bring. I am currently separated from my husband, but separately we are working on ourselves to hopefully become stronger as individuals. And it's a miracle that I'm not completely undone by being separated. I have avoided that option because it would have been an admission of having a less than perfect marriage. I don't know the outcome of either of these relationships, but I do know the one who does, and I truly trust him for whatever happens each day. 
I have spent my life comparing myself to others. I have lived in the chains of shame and regret. I bought into the lie that I was a victim. I went to church all my life, but this was the state of my interior life. Church doesn't fix everything. What has happened for me is that Ephesians 4, 20 through 32 has come alive. Verse 25 says, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Every time I responded to the question, are you okay with I'm fine, even when anger or bitterness was burning under the surface, I was lying. I was being non-relational and dishonest. Verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. I was living in deeply rooted anger, and I was grieving the Holy Spirit. But until I began intentionally working through a recovery process, I did not know how to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. I found the way through this program to lay it all down, to surrender my will to his, so that I can today be kind and compassionate to others, forgiving others, just as in Christ God has forgiven me. Through Celebrate Recovery, I have a process in place that requires me to admit my obsessions and compulsions, to fully surrender my will to God, to submit to accountability with other believers, to make prompt amends with those I have hurt, and to actively forgive those who have harmed me, and to be ready to tell my story when I have the opportunity to shine a light of hope to others who are struggling. Thank you for letting me share. Give Candy a hand. Thank you, Candy. I really like the tagline that is used in this powerful ministry. Celebrate Recovery categorizes all of our types of issues as hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Let me give you the definitions of those. It says that hurts are an emotional reaction to another person's behavior or to a disturbing situation such as abuse, abandonment, codependency, divorce, relationship issues, uh, or otherwise. Hurts Uh, or excuse me, habits are an addiction to someone or something. Examples include alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, sex, uh, shopping, smoking, pornography, to name a few. And hang-ups are negative mental attitudes that are used to cope with people experiencing adversity. Some examples include anger, depression, fear, unforgiveness. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Probably so. How are you doing in being able to see that Jesus Christ has set you free from your old patterns of sin to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are your hurts, habits, or hang-ups derailing you in the process of living in that freedom? Take a look at the two lives that are described in the rest of Galatians 5. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Which of these lists best describes your life today? 
And which one would you rather choose? As application today, I want to encourage those of you in this audience to be honest and brave about what is going on in your life. I'm confident that many of you are frustrated by the lack of spiritual growth in your lives, and you're constantly being pulled back into those patterns of sins, those frustrating worlds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. My challenge to you is to do just two things. First is to understand that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then He has set you free, not only from the penalty of your sin, but also from the power that that sin holds over you. But also to understand that few, if any, could ever walk this process without the help of others. This is why we are told, as Candy said, to confess our sins to others, as written in the book of James. We are implored to live in the light in 1 John and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in Galatians so that we can realize that this power has been broken. After the service today, I've asked a number of the Celebrate Recovery leaders to stand down front with me uh, to talk with those of you who might be interested. So if guys, y'all would come and stand in the front. You might be struggling yourself or you might need to seek out some information because of a friend or a loved one. Either way, they are available to talk. Don't let anything keep you from spending just a few minutes to talk about what may be snagging you in your walk with Jesus. I also, in closing, want to let you know uh, about Celebrate Recovery's normal meeting time. It meets just in our college wing every, thir- every Tuesday night uh, at 7 o'clock here at Southwood. You don't have to be nervous about attending. I can promise you uh, that they're one of the funnest groups that we have in our church. These people still know how to party. Okay? And just so you know, addictions are welcome, but they're not necessary for participation. They also have a table that's set up across the foyer where some of the guys will be standing back there for you guys to talk with. Men and women, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit that allows us to stop giving control of our life to things that bring destruction and to give control of our lives to the Holy Spirit that leads us into godliness. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would give people here in this audience the courage to find out for themselves the steps that they need to take to finally break free of the power uh, that sin can sometimes hold over us when we continue to turn back and get snagged up in those areas of our lives. I know that there are people in this audience that need to come and talk, whether at the table, whether up front today, or whether on Tuesday night at Celebrate Recovery. And I pray that you would give them the courage to do that. There are others that, have, uh, that know people, their friends, their family members, that they need to come forward, they need to talk uh, to find out more information about how they can be a helpful part of that process. Lord, I pray that each morning as we wake up, that we would set our, the, the power of our own lives aside, okay? that we would not uh, feel like self-control has to come from self, but that it can come from you. That every morning we would pray that the Holy Spirit would be in control of our lives to bring about through our day all that, we, all that you want to have happen and that we can bring thankfulness uh, to you for those things. Father, we love you. We pray that uh, throughout the rest of our day we would bring honor and glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You guys are dismissed. Thank you.